You are listening to the Rethinking Faith Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Patterson, and I'm glad that you're here. I'm a former pastor turned brewer with a deep love of theology and philosophy. While I don't always wear the label comfortably, Christianity seems to be baked into who I am. I've found a home within the world of process relational thinking and have made close friends with the mystics. So whether you're a devout believer, a questioning skeptic, a bold atheist, or simply someone trying to figure out what it means to be human, you belong here. Thank you for joining me and taking the risk of entering into this sacred space. And thank you for reminding me that we aren't alone on this journey. Let us imagine a better way to be human together. Shall we begin? Hey friends, before we get into our episode today, I wanted to tell you about a fun event coming up that I will be at, a live event called God After Deconstruction. At this live event, Trip Fuller and Thomas J. Ord, both friends of the podcast, will describe the realities and challenges of deconstruction. We all know that many of us are walking away from church and or God, and we have some pretty good reasons, right? The old ways of thinking make little sense, and the hurt is very real. This conference proposes better ways to think about God, because a sensible view oriented around open and relational theology is possible after we deconstruct the irrational and harmful views so many of us have been offered. Fuller and Ord are joined by thought leaders Catherine Keller, John Tatominal, Bruce Epperly, Alexis Lilly, and others to explore deconstruction and the open and relational and process view of God. The event begins at 7 p.m. on Friday and concludes, rather, at 5 p.m. on Saturday with an invitation to an informal meal thereafter. This event is sponsored by the Center for Open and Relational Theology and Homebrewed Christianity and hosted by the Theological School at Drew University. Joining these are the podcast co-sponsors Radical Love, Yours Truly, Rethinking Faith, War Machine, and The New Evangelicals. If you would like to grab tickets, you can find them on Eventbrite. Just search God After Deconstruction, Drew University. Again, that's February 9th through the 10th of this year. I hope to see you all there. All right, friends, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh Patterson. And friends, I have a treat for you today. Joining me is someone I'm very excited to talk to, and that would be Ilya Delio. Ilya, how are we doing this afternoon? Or actually, evening. It's nighttime, isn't it? <laughs> Fine, Josh. Thank you. Yeah, nice to be here. Yeah, well, thank you so much for uh, for coming on the podcast. I'm excited. I've uh, read a number of your books. Most recently, uh, the book we're going to actually talk about uh, today, which is The Not Yet God, Carl Jung, Taylor Deschardins, and The Relational Whole, which was a whole lot of fun. Um, <laughs> but maybe for listeners who haven't had the joy and pleasures of reading uh, any of your work or hearing you speak yet, could you yeah. introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, so... I am uh, actually a Catholic Franciscan sister uh, who doesn't quite fit the norms where the categories of Catholic Franciscan or sister, but there I am, you know, um, uh, I identify there and uh, trained as a scientist and then uh, in theology. So trained in 
basically medieval and patristic theology. And then because I had this degree in science, I thought it was a no brainer, just you know, wandering into the fields of science and religion. Um, that was my naivete. And then I found out the field had been exploding since the 60s. So I've been working in the area of science and religion for about, oh, about 20 years or so now, 15, 20 years. And then got really hooked on the Jesuit scientist, uh, Pierre Thierry de Chardin, uh, primarily because he was a Jesuit and a scientist. So, you know, I could identify with him. I felt, oh, God, I wasn't the only kooky one. Like he, too, um, followed this narrow path. Um, and I think I think Teilhard really has a vision for bringing faith and science together in the 21st century. Um, there are other there are other narratives, other paradigms, but his in particular speaks to me primarily because it's very incarnational. And so I really like that incarnational focus that he has and um, I think a lot of points that he raises makes a lot of sense in terms of where we find ourselves today and where we're going in terms of science, technology, um, and religion. So that's my little background there from where I'm working. Yeah, sweet. Thank you. Um, I Let's see. Taylor, I mean, we're going to talk about him um, later, but I first came upon uh, Taylor Geez, I think before I even really knew what process was, I think I, I ended mm. up running into his name in a book by John Hawk um, that I read. Yes. Uh, what was his book? The, it talks about God on the Horizon or something. I don't remember. <laughs> um, but yeah. I, which one? God After Darwin. So I, I I have read God After Darwin, but this was one of his earlier books. Um, oh. I forget what it was called. I'll have to, listeners, forgive me. I'll, I'll figure it out and put it in the show notes. Um, but I think what's what's been interesting about people like um, Heliard and then also uh, Jung, who I know way less about, um, and also uh, your work and just the kind of process thought in general is personally... Mm. I kind of went through this uh, crisis of faith or people call it deconstruction. And um, for me, the image of God that I was handed no longer worked. And I think Mm -hmm. I'm not alone in that. And that's actually kind of (laughs) how you start out uh, your new book is kind of the idea of this, the sky God is dead. And so I'm yeah. I'm curious, uh, who who is this sky god, and what is problematic about the sky god for you? Yeah, the supernatural sky god, um, and I think you know two things. One, uh, supernatural that there's a god above nature, distinct, different from uh, that we have kind of anthropomorphized. In other words, God is a big one of us, but mostly looking like the Wizard of Oz or, you know, your grandfather, uh, because God is male, elderly, and watching us from above. And I think that kind of overseer, the God is the overseer, you know, God as like the landlord uh, image. Um, Maybe some people find comfort in that, but actually it's neither true to what the Bible is really telling us, you know, about God, about a relational God, Um, nor is it really the God of Jesus Christ, you know, I mean, so I think uh, anyone who's really on an honest search for God has to kind of 
put grandpa to bed, you know, I mean, uh, grandpa God is pretty much dead in that sense. Um, there's a death of God and a rebirth of God. I put it that way. So uh, I think the, uh, I think the supernaturalism is unhealthy and has been at the heart of a lot of unhealthy unraveling uh, of our planet, of our human community, of our, of our mm, persistent tribalism in some ways, because, you know, my God's bigger than your God and my God's smarter and my God's more powerful than your God. So actually we win. So all of this is stuff is just, it's not really religion. It's actually not even the Judeo-Christian um, tradition. So why not start there with the fact like we're on a real search for a real God in a real world? <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's um, there. I mean, so much of that I relate to and resonate with. And really the kind of, uh, I guess, the back door that I kind of snuck into that really started breaking uh, Sky God stuff for me was the Odyssey, yeah. the, like the problem of evil and such. Um and just trying to reconcile, you know, the kind of God right. I was handed within classical theism. And then like, yeah, but look at all this really bad stuff that happened. <laughs> that exactly. was kind of my back door. You know, honest to goodness, right? If you think God is perfect and all love and all powerful and all knowing, God knows all things. And then you have like the Holocaust or, you know, this complete mass extermination of people or just, you know, sheer utter violence. It's like, okay, what kind of God here again, you know, and how do we make sense of this God in this situation? So, um, you know, I do think the Odyssey is a good, uh, a good way to, a good way to enter into the livingness. What kind of living God are we talking about? And so maybe, you know, I'm trying to qualify that um, God is not just some static, you know, statue being, but it's the livingness of a reality that's at the heart of our life, a power of life. So my new name for God is life. <laughs> like the, you know, the absolute life, life itself. Um, and getting away from the big, the big guy in the sky, you know, um, idea. Mm. Yeah, that, uh, I really like that reframing the, the idea of life or, um, you know, another way that, uh, you talk about in the book is like the, the depth of life as well, something like that. Mm. Um, and that these these kind of reformulations have been super helpful because the really the kind of death of God bit for me has been something that I've um, almost like experienced more than once, if that makes sense. Right. But I think this perhaps yeah. is, is just part of how things work is we we think we understand uh, who or what God is. And then we're like, oh, that's not it. And it's like, well, it must be this new thing. And like, well, no, it's not that. Well, it must be this new thing. Well, it's not that. And so trying to like struggle and find language um, has been difficult. Uh, but again, like works like yours and also um, the the larger field of um, process relational thinking has been giving me some new ways to think that I've been toying with, trying to figure out <laughs> what I mean when I say God. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. No, I mean, your, your notion that... Uh you know, you think you have God in your pocket, like I know who God is now. And then all of a sudden God slips under that, you know, and says, no, that's not, that's, not, you know, and then, and then you get disappointed, actually, you know, something happens and you go, this can't be God. And, you know, that's kind of that Dionysian ascent, you know, Pseudo Dionysius books of that ascent. 
into utter silence, into absolute, into mystery. And it's like, every time you think, you know, God, you have to cancel that out. That's not God. That's something that's close to God, but it's not God. So we're always, we're always moving into God. That's, and that God is always, you know, always, always beyond and always infinitely near. And so I always like Meister Eckhart saying, you know, I pray God to rid me of God. <laughs> like, let's get over God to get to God, you know? And you think, oh, what? That's terrible. You know, how could you say something like that? And it's like easy because that's not God, you know? <laughs> um, so let's get over that idol thing and get to the mystery, this, this infinite. You, we don't get to God. God gets to us, actually. And we don't, we don't grasp God. God grasps us. We're grasped by the mystery. There's something about us. It breaks. And I, I think we have to break down and break through to get to this, um, into this place of deeper mystery. Um, so that we're always never knowing God. Like, I know you, like, I really know you. But we know in the biblical sense of like experience, right? That biblical notion of I really know you because I deeply experience you. And that's the kind of knowing but I think when God says, I know you, as God knows us in, in, by experiencing and as we experience God, you know, within our deepest self. So, so this kind of narrow language, you know, the, the narrow linguistic supernatural God uh, has, is, so is so deafening and so unhealthy. And um, gosh, I feel like I'm in a box, you know, it's like in a coffin. It's like, oh my gosh, let me out of here. Uh, so I'm totally for that kind of atheism to get to a true theism, you might say. Yeah, so there's like a healthy atheism to get to a more robust theism. Hmm. Yeah, I, I love that idea. It's like, uh, I'm trying to remember who I heard say it. I want to I say John Tatamano. I first heard him say that all good theologians um, have a bit of atheism in them. <laughs> uh, and I really, I really <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, and also there's a, a musical artist that um, some listeners may be familiar with named Derek Webb. And Derek mm -hmm. recently put out a new album called The Jesus Hypothesis, where he's kind of uh, testing it one more time, so to speak. And one of his songs oh. is called Some Gods Deserve Atheists. And I wow, really good. love that song. <laughs> That's uh, amazing. Yeah, it's been deeply I helpful to me. Um as one who struggles to find like Christian music I can sit with in a way that's comfortable. Um, the right. honesty in that song and the wrestling uh, is really beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and that is beautiful actually, you know, because I think we have to name our idols and I think God has become an idol, you know, in some way uh, and idols, you know, we project onto idols. That's the whole thing. We idolize them because they are, uh, we have deep we have deep desires within us that we want you know we want to be perfect and good and so we we project them onto this godlike image it's the same way we have sports idols and music idols you know it's everything we're not you know but we really want to be it um and that's different from an icon where divine light you know where there's a radiance there's a there's a beauty that's shining through everything and i think god is that god is icon i you know everything like the whole world is you know iconic it's it's all shining through with divine radiance you know in some ways uh even though it looks ugly sometimes believe it or not there's even light in the darkness you know the cracks of the darkness so um yeah yeah the the notion 
of uh, God shining through or or being in and through all things is one that's been deeply helpful to me. Um, you know, I most of the time I prefer using the language of panentheism, uh, although yeah. uh, you make some pretty convincing uh you know, arguments, so to speak, for pantheism, where you end up using the word yeah. entanglement, which I really liked. Um, I think that that kind of encompasses everything nicely. Uh, yeah. And just that's that's been deeply helpful for me. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Because I've been in discussions recently, uh, most recently with the philosopher Jack Caputo, uh, uh, who who favors panentheism. So in fact, just today we were talking about this and I, I, I need to develop my position a little bit more strongly, but there's something about that pan and theism that still has a vestige of mm, sort of a little bit of the onto theology. You know, there's a little bit of beingness there, being in being. And I guess I want to, and, and maybe this is where I'm thinking there's no being anymore. There are fields of energy and there are systems. Uh, but being to me is a passe word. You know, I think it worked in another era, but we know ourselves to be fields within fields. So I would not use the word being, I would use the word something like holon or holonome. You know, we're fields within fields of entangled energies. Um, and that's not like a new age idea that's actually much more consonant with what science is telling us. So um, in that respect, entanglement is saying, we're relational through and through that it, our relationship is what distinguishes us, you know, like we're not beings who have relationships, we're relationships who then, you know, are distinguished and distinct, distinguished by our beingness uh, or fieldness or however you want to put that language. Um, all of this to say is that when it comes to God, God is, you might say, the great entangler, you know, the field of the field, the whole of the whole. And so... I don't think we can really even think of a God who's in and everything in. I don't think there's any in. <laughs> I think it's just pure relationship, you know, pure fieldness. Um, and so I'm going to opt for pantheism. pantheism. Um, and I want to say that maybe if we, here's my idea. Like, imagine if we had like a really robust pantheism um, in, in all aspects. I mean, economics, politics ecology, education. I'm like, what would the world look like? You know, not just limited to like a religious discussion or this is a great philosophical talk, you know, but really a pantheist, a uh, holonic planet, you know, like a planet that is, you know, imbued with the radiance of the overflowing of life. I mean, and we become aware, like AI can lead us into a higher consciousness, a greater awareness of an overflow of life. I mean, because AI can do just about anything now, you know, so, um, so I mean, basically, I'm, I'm looking to rework and maybe just rewrite this whole notion of religion and weave it into all aspects of planetary life. Because I think without religion, or some type of religious energies, or some kind of grounding in something more than ourselves, but at the heart of ourselves, I don't think we can go forward in evolution um, in a fruitful way, you know, it's sort of all over the place, you know, and so there's something we need, it's that missing dimension, you know, I think we need that kind of, um, that energy of religion, and then we need some narratives that kind of help us form a planetary community 
I think it, I think we're at the beginning of all this stuff, quite honestly. Um, but part of it is getting over still the old guy in the sky. You know, we're still kind of stuck with some old religious stuff that we have to deconstruct. And it's hard because people are so fearful of deconstructing anything, especially in today's world. They're like, gosh, if I get, if I, you know, if I get rid of my God, what's going to happen, say, if we get blown up tomorrow, like, you know, and, and then I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to stand on judgment day and all this kind of stuff, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, just get over it, you know, just deconstruct, legit, just get over it and deconstruct, you'll be fine. Um, and, and actually you might be freer to actually help create the world. So get over this stuff. That, that's what I want to tell people, but you can't say, I mean, you really have to be very respectful of where people are and most of them aren't there. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. yeah. Well, I love it. I think you named it well, that there is a deep freedom that comes within a lot of the letting go. I, I know for me, I um, I have found a lot of uh, Buddhist spirituality, specifically Zen Buddhism and the work of like Thich Nhat Hanh, deeply helpful um, in my own yeah. kind of deconstruction and spiritual journey. And um, yeah. I mean, speaking of that too, this kind of, uh, let's call it like a deep pantheism that you're kind of talking about. Oh, I um, love that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it <laughs> I call it quantum. Yes. Uh-huh. But deep, deep works. Yeah. But it, um, I'll quote you. All right, cool. Well, I stole it from uh David Ray Griffin and John Cobb when they talk about deep religious pluralism because it it seems yeah. like it it serves that conversation well, at least in my mind, and that's something yeah. that I'm studying currently is religious pluralism. Um, and mm. so having this kind of deep pan uh pantheism, I almost slipped and said pantheism. Uh, or entanglement language, I think, serves that conversation well. Um, and also, as you mentioned, uh, Caputo, uh, he, I mean, you've interacted with him a bit in the book. And it's interesting to me, because when you're talking about this whole being, you know, not being more like the, the relational fields bit, um, it reminds me his idea of like, well, does God exist? Well, maybe God insists. And uh, that's that's been really interesting to me. I've been playing with that as currently we're in the season of Advent, right? Uh, yeah. And I've been thinking about the incarnation. And so let me, if you don't mind, I want to throw something at you and you tell me what you think. Is that cool? Okay. All right. <laughs> so when I've been thinking about the insistence of God, right? Specifically, I'm going to do it within a Christian framework. Uh, for me, I think what is happening is that there is the divine uh, potentiality that exists um, in all of creation, and that means within you and I. And that means mm -hmm. it also existed within the person of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And it's this kind of, uh, there's a divine lure, a call, something like that. And each moment of becoming, the as this kind of divine potential is seeking to be actualized, and what Jesus did really freaking well <laughs> was yeah. actualize that divine call to the point where Jesus literally becomes the image of the invisible God. Uh, yeah. And whenever that happens or whenever humans or I guess my dog or trees give into that divine lure and the divine is actualized, that's what Christians call incarnation. And I'm like, that's something I can get behind. <laughs> uh -huh. What do we think? Am I understanding? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there, that, yeah, that's kind of the heart of the book, you know, uh, the not yet 
God. And, and that's the beauty of that is, is that we're part, we're take we're part of God's own life. We're not just subject to that life. We are a part of that. That divine life can only be fully lived if it's lived in us, you know, otherwise it's just kind of an idea or a potential, like, you know, it's like the God potential. What a great idea. But, you know, it's like once you begin to actualize this uh, divine potential in our lives, and I think that's what the energy of love is about. I think coming into that deeper awareness of these, this infinite, this infinite lore within us, and then following, you know, what we used to call the spirit, you know, the spiritual lore, whatever, however you want to call that. Um, but then we, we act on it. We accept it. You know, it's like a call and response. We accept that, Lord. And we say, yeah, we say, yes. You know, we say, amen. Right. And so <laughs> all of a sudden, like that Lord becomes my life. It becomes, it becomes, it raises up to a new level. And then when I'm aware, you know, of this kind of, and I think that's what a lot of, I think religion is really, it is a, a breakthrough in consciousness. It's a breakthrough in awareness that there's something more here at the heart of my life. It's not just there's, there's me and then there's more than there's a me and more than me, you know, that what we might call the other, although I never really like that term other because the other is, is within, you know, type thing. So, um, yeah. And I think love that energy of unity, it's like this energy of, um, this unitive energy that causes me to wake up and to, to act now in a new way towards the other, like I go out of myself now. So God's insistence is our ex-existence because we go as, as we, as God, you know, is insisting in us, we, um, and are attracted to that. We go out beyond the X, you know, the more than us. Um, so we subsist, we exist by going out to, um, the others because we're already tangled with them, but we're not conscious of it. That's the part of it is, you know, being aware that we really do belong to one another. And that's probably one of the hardest things you know, for us to get our hands around, we're pretty sure that's not true. <laughs> we're like, there's no way I belong to you. You know, that's you know, there's like, you know, like you're Jewish, I'm Muslim, and and they're who knows what they are. They're new age or something. So we can't belong to one another. I'm like, oh yeah, you do. <laughs> like you really do. You know, like at the heart of it. Yep, you're all part of this. You know, cosmic entangled wholeness of love, and God is insisting in each of us to act out, you know, of that love in each of our particular ways. And that's the beauty of it. You know, otherwise we would have this kind of, just kind of blob of, of love, you know, this blob of energy. But there's something about the particularity of the person, I think, that brings God into a particular focus. It's like a particular ray, ray of light. It's like a particular piece of stained glass you know it's like it's fractal is this way you know it's it's caught it's it's like beveled in this way and not that way and that's really pretty awesome you know i i think no matter how much biology has made strides and it's made tremendous strides it can't quite explain the bevelness you know of our lives we're beveled white by our genes by our culture by personality whatever it is and just that sheer core mystery of you and me you know, and that, um, I, I find this, it, you kind of move out of the language thing. Cause I think language, quite honestly, I think Karen Barad is right in saying kind of language carves up things, you know, we use language and then we carve up the world like, oh yeah, you're this, you know, you're a nun, you're this, or you're that, and you're that. And by carving up everything, 
by the time we're done, all we have are like little bits of this is and that, you know, and we lost sight that we're part of this entangled wholeness, this field of energy, the ground of which is this inexhaustible wellspring of love. Be why love? Because it's just life bubbling over. And how do we know it's bubbling over? Because we can't settle down. You know, we can't just, we can't rest. We're kind of like, no, I've, there's got to be something more here. You know, I've got to find it. There's, it's, it's beyond me. And that's all saying, yep, mm-hmm. The, the, that wellspring of life we call God right here, springing up, overflowing, get real, you know, wake up. <laughs> yeah, that, and I love that image of the the stained glass window and the the beveledness. Because uh, when I when I think of a stained glass window, um, and I imagine myself as one of the little pieces in it, uh, that image is is made up of all those little pieces, but also um, all the little pieces form the whole to the point where yeah. the whole doesn't know itself without like if I were to pull out the Josh Patterson piece, the whole doesn't know itself without it. And in the same way, I don't know myself without, you know, the larger context of the whole Um Exactly. That's really beautiful. And fact, <laughs> it would look funny, right? If you took the Josh, yeah. if you took the piece out, it would look really kind of, there's something missing here. You know, that's mm -hmm. the whole thing. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and, and that's the funny part. Like so many people think no one really cares, you know, what I think. And, you know, does my life have any real meaning? I'm saying your life has infinite meaning. Are you kidding? You know, like, you know, you add a um, a piece, you add to this light of this divine light in such a unique way that no one, you know, it's irrepeatable. Even if we try to grow you in a labs, you know, in a, in a Petri dish, it wouldn't quite be you. Your light would just be a little bit different, you know? So there's something that's so beautiful and mysterious. And that's because God, I think, is, is, is you know, um, deeply embedded in every person, in everything that exists. And that's the beauty of this um, wild, wild world of creation. Yeah, that, that reminds me too of one of my, my favorite um, ideas or, or concepts within uh, larger process thinking as a whole is um, just this idea that in each moment of becoming, God takes within to the divine self, like, everything right uh and then in the next moment the next moment the next moment where everything now exists you know we have this kind of like um uh immortality objective immortality within the divine forever yes. <laughs> which I is know. is really cool but also it can be scary right it kind of causes us to a bit of responsibility because we're like oh well that really silly stupid thing that i did uh today when i flipped off you know the guy on the highway driving home in traffic like well that's there too now, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's right. this. Everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's this for me. It's like this beautiful image of even. I mean, that's a very um, silly example of evil. But earlier you mentioned um, light, even being in darkness. But this idea that that the divine is big enough to to have to take darkness into the divine self and not allow it to uh, destroy the divine self, but rather to take it and turn it into something, you know, beautiful or, or yeah. in each moment of becoming it is, is a piece of grace. We're invited into something beautiful, regardless of what happened in the previous. And that's, that's yeah. a beautiful image. <laughs> yeah, I would, um, one thing that I kind of put forth a little bit in the book, and it might be just uh, not enough, uh, spelled out is that I have wondered if, if evil or darkness is God's own chaotic self. 
In other words, God, God is, if God is just pure, if God is the infinite, the realm of possibilities, and those possibilities are not brought into some kind of self-actualized uh, form, then they remain, in a sense, just random possibilities, so to speak. And um, I think of darkness and evil in one way, and I think Jung was getting at this sort of as a frustrated God, you know, a God who really wants to be alive in and through our own lives, you know, and um, our inability to either, you know, be attentive to that God within or not accept or reject that God within for a whole host of reasons. And that kind of inability to reconcile ourselves with our divine nature, so to speak, uh, leaves that nature in a sense unreconciled. So we have an unreconciled God, you know, within a, uh, within a, a human being that is unreconciled, partial. And it just creates all sorts of um, scattered, you know, when I think chaos, not in chaos theory, but chaos in the scatteredness, like uh, God is, God is ungod, God is ungodded. It's like unfriended. We have ungod God, you know, <laughs> it's like I'm ungod and God, you know, and therefore to ungod God is to undo ourselves, so to speak. Um, and so it leads to, so what Young says is that if we are not reconciled within, we will then by force, we will just act out of that unreconciled self in the world. And so I think a lot of the evil and violence we find are what we might call the 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 divided within, the fractured self, um, the, the dark self that just hasn't come to its own fullness of personhood. And, um, and that acting without just unleashes the violence and the chaos of unreconciled love, you know? unreconciled love turns into hate. And that's really, I think, what happens. And hate and war and the devastation of that. Yeah, you have a, uh, I actually posted it. I'm trying to pull it up. Forgive me, I'm not texting, I promise. Um, I'm trying to pull up this <laughs> uh, quote. It, it comes from the book that I posted, it looks like four days ago now. It says, uh, quote, the frustrated religious ego becomes the warring ego. The wars within us become the wars among us. The violence within us becomes the violence among us. Inner self-hatred mm -hmm. becomes outer safe, outer uh, hatred of others. The inner war of rejection becomes the outer war of rejection. Um, yeah, and, and you go on and ultimately get to the point where you're saying God just becomes a plaything of the isolated ego crying out in agony on the cross of alienation and rejection. Mm. Um, and that, that, I mean, that bit was powerful to me. Um, and the... The image of the kind of frustrated God, um, I like that. It 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 helped further this uh, for me. The way I've been thinking about it is, if you know, this wholeness is reality, then sin or chaos or evil um, comes from when we buy into like the myth of separation, because we're going against how reality actually is, or maybe how reality is is asking to be presented something like, like that, that. Yeah. yeah because mm -hmm. if if i believe i'm separate yeah. from you then i can be racist i can you know dehumanize right. you whatever do evil and the same thing you know if i believe i'm separate from creation or the universe well we're in a pretty big ecological disaster right now kind of thing so yeah. you get it uh yeah. and i think even our, yeah. our understanding that we're separate from the divine causes all sorts of issues yes. 
uh, like I tribalism. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's a good source of it. You know, to think we're not we're we're separate from the divine. We we fear. I think there's a deep fear of of that divine. You know, and the thing is, like um, sometimes fear shows itself in we become what we fear. So if we fear God, we want to become God. You know, and and therefore the overcoming that fear is you know by taking on that power. And the whole thing, art, honestly, I was thinking today, you know, there's no such thing as artificial intelligence. The artificial, the artifice ourselves, we're like artificial, actually, human, we're, you know, when we separate ourselves, when we draw these barriers between, you know, um, who's in and who's out, who's got the real God, who's got, you know, the fake God. When we live with um, that war within ourselves, you know, that we then act out without ourselves. So I think we become artificial. I don't think I don't think artificial intelligence is anything but nature just doing its own thing. You know, nature has always been techne. You know, so so I think we have this a, a little bit incorrect. You know, and we're fearing artificial intelligence because we actually else. <laughs> I don't think we fear the. You know, I don't think we fear its and bits. I don't think we fear zeros and ones. I think we fear ourselves because we're so unreconciled with ourselves and we have no sense. Of, of divinity at the heart of our reality. So we fear that, you know, we're going to create a catastrophic um, event with this stuff, because that's exactly what, what a world without God fears, that it's just going to all blow up, you know, <laughs> um, uh, because we're at war and there's forces of darkness. And, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is exhausting. You know, <laughs> like um, we're here, first of all, after 13.8 years of cosmic you know life and then maybe about 4.2 billion years of earth life so uh you know yeah things blow up but guess what new things happen so you know so guys like cool you know you blow yourselves up believe me i have a lot of a lot more potential here to do new things so go ahead and do that but i'm just saying like we we're here we have we have we have the capacity to really build a whole new planet i know we do we have it we really can be a new humanity. Uh, I don't think, you know, I'm not sure we want it. That's the whole thing. It's like, oh my God, what would it be like to actually love one another? <laughs> I mean, that's so crazy. Like, what would that look like? It might be boring, you know, or a world of peace and justice. Seriously, we really want a world of peace and justice. What would that look like? You know, everyone at the farmer's market sharing their corn and their tomatoes or you know, like actually being nice to one another, like pulling out of the parking lot or giving up their, you know, whatever. Uh, would we be bored by that stuff? And that's the whole thing. We don't know ourselves enough to know that there's a dynamism of creativity at the heart of life. And that's why I like Whitehead's thing of creativity. Like we always live for something more, you know, that's the whole thing. And the question is, can we do that together? Um, so I'm not so worried about the darkness. I am worried about people who are worried about, you know, we're going to blow ourselves up and artificial intelligence is going to turn us all into robots and we're just going to become, you know, extinct. Uh, we are going to become extinct, but it's not because of that. It's because of, it's actually because of bad religion. You know, I think bad religion uh, can actually have really bad effects. So we should have like a warning label, bad religion may be hazardous to your health. So, and, and put it, you know, like on... <laughs> churches maybe you know or you know anywhere there's bad preaching so um yeah what we need is like 
healthy, healthy, you know, healthy spirituality, a sense of like, wow, deep belonging, deep, you know, deep connectivity, like, gee, we're not alone. We're in this together. Great. In fact, we're not only in this together, there's a moreness of the togetherness, you know, so, and we name that God. So that, uh, that notion of you know bad religion reminds me of a uh, a buddy friend of the podcast Dan Koch. Um, he used this metaphor where he talks about religion as kind of like nuclear fission or nuclear power, where it's like that yeah. has the potential to do really good stuff, or yeah. you get the atomic bomb, right? Nuclear bombs, yeah. uh, kind of thing, and it 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 has that kind of both and tension there. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It's it's interesting. I I love the <laughs> this idea of of we like we are we've become artificial, um, and you know even I guess within the the Christian tradition, you know people have talked about maybe Jesus as an an image of like the new humanity or like what it means to be human or to continue becoming human, right? And I mean, even if you go back to someone like. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who I don't reference often, but I think <laughs> part of his understanding was like doing bad stuff or sin or whatever dehumanizes us. Not, you know, that's not what makes us human is that we do stupid stuff. That's yeah. not good. And so then with that yeah. idea, it's like, um, you know, you have a chapter on it in the book. But when you think about something like salvation, um, oftentimes yeah. in the kind of Christianity I grew up in, which is like you know, evangelicalism, that's a hyper individual thing. I said the magic prayer. I'm good to go. Sucks for everybody else who doesn't say it. (laughs) But I think salvation is more is more holistic. I think I'm not saved until you're saved. And it seems like because of this whole entanglement bit, God is caught up in this whole uh, drama of salvation as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, first of all, we have to save God from God, you know, uh, you know, it's like first thing is saving, saving God. Second thing is you're, you're absolutely right. I don't think in, salvation is individual at all. In fact, that's a modern idea. Uh, the patristics actually like Gregory of Nyssa would look at, you know, salvation as term as the whole, the body, you know, um, the whole body, the whole humanity, Adam, you know, the Adam, Adam is the whole. Uh, we we sort of even shrunk Adam into like this a single guy in a garden, you know, which really became problematic. Who was married to this woman Eve, or I don't know if they were married or just living together or whatever that story was. But yeah, no, um, totally. We I think Thomas Berry says something like that. Following Teilhard de Chardin, we will go into the future together, or we will all perish in the desert. And I think we have to get our heads around that. There's no one person, you know, even if I build a condo, like, you know, a a hundred feet below the ground, which people did in the year 2000, when they thought, you know, the end of the world was coming, you know, as as soon as we turned into the 21st century, they're like, the end of the world's coming. I'm going to survive underground. Um, It's like, no, you're not, you know, there is no, there's a, this is crazy. Um, and why do what why would we want to live like all by ourselves? You know, why would we want to survive individually and not together? I guess that's my that's even a bigger question. You know, what what do we think we would live for? Say, even if you were to freeze yourself and come out in the year 4000, I mean, of what value would that be, you know, to be cryonically preserved um, in 4000? Just you, 
you know, maybe the whole rest of the earth by then is submerged underwater or, you know, we just merged with another planet entirely. So, um, uh, you know, I think any scenario is possible, but isn't it wonderful that we're in this together? I think that's the beauty. Our humanity and our struggles, the very thing we resist is the very thing we long for. That's that we're such weird, we're the weirdest species on this earth. That's all I can say. My cats don't don't have these problems, you know. Um, they're they just like like to be petted and loved. But we humans, we're somewhere between animal and angel. We're somewhere between humans and gods, you know, and, and we're in this, I think Raymond Ponikar said it something like that. Like we're just this very unique um entity, you know, in, in this creation. And I think we're left with this, what uh, the question, like, are we human? Are we God? Are we, are we animal? Are we angel? What are we? And um, so for some reason, I think that's where Jesus, you know, does really um, show us, symbolizes for us what it means to be really human. Like we have a capacity for divine life, you know, um, Irenaeus of Lyon, the glory of God is the human person fully alive. Is that not a great saying? You know, the, glor the glory of God is the human person fully alive. What does it mean to be fully alive? That's our question, you know? Um, uh, and therefore I think, you know, or Athanasius, God became human so that the human could become God. I mean, we have this in the tradition. It's not like I'm making this up. You know? uh, and so I'm not that heretical. Um, I think Jesus really, you know, and that's the question. Is Jesus the savior alone, like like the lone savior? It's like the Marlboro man, you know? Remember that, I don't know, you're too young, but you know, years ago, back in, I think the 60s or 70s, they had the Marlboro man, you know, the cigarette commercial. And he was this, this dude on a pony, on a horse, you know, galloping in Colorado someplace. And that was like a symbol of the American macho, you know, like, you know, we're, we're in this, the individual power and we can, we're, we're not only survivors, we're going to, we're conquerors. And I'm like, oh, really get rid of that Marlboro. That guy, yeah, he died anyway. So um, no, I think uh, maybe we just have to go through these iterations, but you know, we know so much more today. And I think it's just time to let go of a lot of bad stuff, a lot of bad religion, just let it go. You know, like don't even try to figure it out anymore because it's just unhealthy. It's like, it's, it's like eating, I don't know if you're diabetic, it's like eating a pound of sugar, like uh, every hour, you know, it's, it's something like that. It's dangerous. It's bad to your health. Um, and just begin to, I think God is actually a, a very simple idea. I don't think, I don't think God is so complicated. You don't need a degree, you know, to figure out who God is. <laughs> It's just just being, it, you know, it just resting in that own solitude of our own awareness of our own existence. And then we know we're not alone, you know, I mean, in that terms of prayer, you know, that terms opening up, uh, that terms, because there's a lot in us. We're always like figuring things out and we're not very free within ourselves because we're all caught up on stuff and like we're so worried about everything. It's like, you know, the idea of chill chill out. I mean, Jesus could have said that easily, you know, he could have said like, chill out, would you, you know? Um, and I think really, uh, that's what I was going to say before. I think what Jesus is about is what we're about. It's like, I have to go, he says, so that the spirit can come. We can say the same thing. I have to go, you know, I'm going to do my part here and then I will move on so that the energies 
you know, of my life can be taken up into new ways. That's the beauty. I mean, to be saved, I think I, I say to people, well, what do you expect, you know, when you die? Oh, I hope to go to heaven. And what do you plan to do there? <laughs> you know, uh, well, be with God and do what? You know, like uh, ice cream Sundays, yeah, internal sleep-ins. I mean, what's your big plan for eternity? Then I think, wow, we're only here 90, 100 years. And then eternity is, well, eternity. It's forever. So think about that. You really just want to like, you know, just eke out a little bit living here so that you can go and sit with God, like on the royal throne of some sort and just, what, sit? <laughs> sit and drink i don't know it just seems so boring i mean eternal life heaven cannot be boring that's all i'm thinking so we're messed up you know we're really messed up and then actually the truth is there's no heaven there that's not here so heaven is the flip side of earth that's the whole point you know it's like when i tell people that they're like no i'm like yeah <laughs> it really is you know that's what scripture tells us no new heaven without a new earth so um, and that we're like, what? I, I can't believe it. And I'm like, yeah. Um, anyway, we got to get used to the fact that our job is to build heaven. Our, our job is to build the earth into heaven. That's the whole point. You know, end of story. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. And it's funny because that brings me back to like the person who I've, I read that started to like started my deconstruction process, so to speak. And I don't think it was ever their intent. But I read an N.T. Wright book my sophomore oh, yeah. year of college, uh, Surprised uh, by Hope, when and he makes this uh, the same kind of point. Now, I don't think he would be down with like all the fun metaphysics stuff that you and I like. But anyway, the idea of building the kingdom of God, at least we're on the same page there. <laughs> and I, I think, agree. Yeah. <laughs> but that um, I don't know. I, I like that. I still grasp onto that that image or that that story, maybe that, that um, like theological, like hope, something like that. Uh, because then as a human, it feels like I, I can, that's something worth giving my life to, you know, um, yeah. it's uh, to steal from Aaron Simmons uh, philosophy he talks about uh, faith as risk in a certain direction. Um, mm -hmm. And so that story of, you know, building the kingdom here on earth um, is something that I'm willing to risk my life in that direction yeah. because it's so beautiful that it has to be true, or at least I really freaking want it to be. <laughs> I'm sure it's true, actually. Yes. I, I mean, that's yes. exactly what we're here. We're here to build the earth, build the, the rain, you know, to this reign of God or however you want to call it, the kingdom. Um, you know, we're here to do something that's more than what we are now. Like it's, we're, we're in a, and, and, you know, maybe, uh, and this is what I want to say to people, don't get so stuck on people get fall into these crevices of darkness and these kind of um, these kind of moments of despair, like it's all over, you know, look at our politics, look at our earth, look at the the world situation, you know, the war. In the, and, and it's terrible. I'm not going to I'm not going to take away that for sure. But there's some, you know, Terry would say, look, look more deeply, look, look maybe sometimes we're not looking in the right place. And I think what happens, and I'm not a big one for the news. I think I think news can be unhealthy as well. Uh, and especially if you start listening to all these 
news news fake news who knows what who, you know what i mean how do you know what the news is anymore so i think the whole thing is an unhealthy thing they should give them all a very very long sabbatical and just take a you know a new sabbatical because um and i wonder if the world would just have just like a you know just a milli millimeter of space to breathe a little bit but all i'm saying is that we get caught up in all this stuff and then we lose perspective. We lose, we don't see. I think a lot of, we become blind. And sometimes I think, and this is why I think nature is a wonderful teacher for us. You know, when we've lost as humans, um, I always tell my students, just, just spend time with nature, you know, just learn to be like a tree and see like a bird and hear, you know, um, like an owl. I mean, just learn from nature how to be at home again in this earth, uh, because we're we're detached. We're like we're so beyond uh, nature sometimes, and caught up in stuff that's so it spirals. It's like becomes like a vortex, you know, and it becomes so unhealthy. Uh, and I'm like, gee, poor God is like, oh God, I'm like, you know, hanging out here, just wondering, is anyone going to like pay attention? <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, That's why I think God is like, um, oh, hum. years ago, there was a show called Oh God with George Burns. I don't know if you remember that. And George was like, you know, in his 80s then. And, you know, of course, he portrayed God, you know, as an elderly person. But the funny thing was, he was like an ordinary person. So God would be like, in, in the bathroom, in the kitchen, like, you know, like, what are you doing? You know, like, why are you doing this stuff? And there's something to that. It was kind of fun and funny. Um, you know, I think that that's what God is, that kind of wellspring of love at the heart of our lives going, really? Are, are you really going to get, you know, like, hang on to all that stuff? Really? Just let it go. You know, I mean, just chill. I mean, there's more, like, if you let it go and then you go, oh, wow. It's like, it's like carrying a whole bunch of Christmas presents, you know, you're all weighed down with these packages and you can't get through the doorway. And then someone says, hey, can I help you carry something? And you're like, wow, that's great. So you let it go and you go, well, I can get through the doorway. I can actually see again. So just like let go and let flow. And I think that's where God is in the flow. Well, Elia, that's beautiful. And I think uh, here, my statue of St. Francis wants to say, amen. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah. yeah. So all of that little discourse there, <laughs> that's actually Francis of Assisi brought yeah. up to the 21st century. <laughs> In <laughs> such, <laughs> such a beautiful way. Uh, but yes, Elia, this conversation has been wonderful. I have really enjoyed myself. Um, and also, I know I'll say this for listeners. There is a conference coming up in February called Ortline 24, the Open Relational Theology Conference, Tom Ward hosting it. And um, I have been given word that I am going to be on the panel uh, with you discussing your new book. And so I am excited to uh, take this conversation and my reading and hopefully offer something fun <laughs> at Ortline 24 together so we can have fun. <laughs> yeah great we'll continue yes absolutely and um is there uh anywhere that maybe i can point uh my listeners to if they want to connect with you um i'm going to put your book in the show notes so they can link that way but is there any other like websites or something like that you would like me to to point them to um, yeah well we do have the center for christogenesis that kind of really long name that no one knows what it's about but it's a 
it's Teilhard's language to talk about this God and evolution. Uh, so the Center for Christogenesis.org um, is where you can find a lot of my blogs and videos and you know stuff stuff that I think about and help others think about too. So that would be a good resource. And then if you want to take a course, you could always come to Villanova University. Uh, and other than that, mm, no. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sort of all over, you know, but yeah, I would start there at the website and mm, Villanova, whatever. And, and Josh. <laughs> Good deal. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I'll be sure to link the uh, Center for Christogenesis and Villanova as well um, with your book. So, and again, thank you so much. I've deeply enjoyed this. I've been looking forward to talking to you for quite some time uh, and I was not disappointed. So thank you for your time. I look forward to talking again in February. Um, and for listeners, thank you as well for hanging out. And as always, friends, go in peace. Peace.